0: I thank President Vaughan for his kind words of introduction and I want to express my deep gratitude to him and to the Board of Governors of the Canon Law Society of America and to the entire Canon Law Society membership for the honor that they have accorded me by presenting me with the Canon Law Society's prestigious Role of Law Award. I have always valued my membership in this society and so it is truly a pleasure though an unexpected and undeserved one, for me to be considered worthy to join the list of distinguished American canonists who have received this recognition in prior years. It is natural that at the time the society is celebrating its 75th year and honoring the past, our thoughts should turn to our history and to those who have preceded us. Memory calls to mind the names of many canonists of my generation that I encountered at the society's conventions. Some no longer with us, like Larry Wren, Fred McManus, Jim Provost, Ed Fnausch, Bill Vavaro, and others who are thankfully still making their important contribution as canonists, like Tom Green, Jack Alessandro, Jim and Frank Morrissey. Once I received the call to Rome to become a judge of the Roman Rhoda, I was unfortunately no longer able to attend the annual conventions because of the distance and the time frame in which the conventions are generally scheduled, so I was not able to come to know too many of our more recent members unless they had studied in Rome and took part in the Society's Rome visits. It is precisely those visits and the ongoing dialogue that the CLSA has maintained with the various dioceses of the Roman Courier that my thoughts turn today. Archbishop John Myers in his keynote address has spoken to us about the role of law in the Church and the role of canon law in the Church of the United States over these past decades. Similarly, I would like to reflect for a few moments on the role of the Canon Law Society of America in the dialogue between the American Church and the Roman Curia, and particularly the Roman Proto. I believe most of us are aware that the Society played a significant role in the consultations that led up to the revised Code of Canon Law of 1983. The Second Vatican Council ended in 1965 and all were awaiting the new code of canon law that would put its teachings into practice. Rather than sit back and simply wait to see what the commission or the revision of the code would present, the American Bishops' Conference sought and received the cooperation and expertise of the CLSA to advance possible solutions to received problems, such as developing new norms for speeding up the handling of marriage cases. These became the famous American Norms, which were granted to the American Bishop by Pope Paul VI in 1970. While not perfect, they did enable a process of experimentation, which led to the issuance first of the new Universal Norms, and then to the procedures implemented in the new Code, which were later further clarified by the instruction Dignitas Canubi. This far-sighted and proactive stance of our society was demonstrated by the publishing of the first English text and commentary on the Code of Canon Law in 1985, soon after the new code was officially promulgated. But during the long process of revision, the society had commissioned commentaries on the working schemata issued by the Code Commission from 23 of the most respected canonical scholars in the United States. Thus, once the text became official, the editors, Cardin, Green, and Heinchel, were able to rapidly organize and harmonize the scholarly work already completed, and so produced a commentary on the code that, in their own words, was destined, quote, to become the standard work for students, pastors, and church administrators for many years to come, unquote. Then, too, the visits by the officers of the Society to Rome over the years had contributed much to foster greater knowledge and appreciation of the concerns that motivated canonists on each side of the ocean. The Roman officials, through personal contact, thus were better able to understand the situation in the United States, for example, its laws concerning lawsuits and civil liability. The CLSA, by preparing precise questions to be raised during the meetings were able from the answers or non-answers received to get a sense of the current thinking on certain issues. Hence, suggestions could be made and were made and even occasionally were accepted. An example that comes to mind is the important innovation suggested by the officers of the CSLA on one of their visits to Rome soon after I began my work at the Rhoda and which led to the signing of an agreement between the Dean of the Road and the American Bishop's Conference. It concerned the appointment of a Rodal Advocate to American cases. Instead of the usual practice of waiting for the parties to search out and engage their own lawyer, it was agreed that the diocese would send over one set fee with the case, and then the Dean would immediately appoint a Rodal Advocate, thereby enabling the case to begin without further delay. Due to its success, this agreement became the model for a similar one made with the French and the Irish Bishops' Conference.
1: Another area in
0: which the CLSA has been in the forefront has been the effort to make rural jurisprudence more readily available to those who are called upon to use it in their everyday work, namely the judges, the defenders of bonds, and the advocate of our tribunals. The purpose of a tribunal is to say, what the law is, just dicere, in the particular case. St. Pope John Paul II in his address to the Rota on January 26, 1984, put it in these terms. In the strict sense, the true authentic interpretation which declares the general meaning of the law for the entire community is resolved to the legislature according to the well-known principle, the source of law is also the source of interpretation. Nevertheless, the judge plays a very important part in deciding the meaning of the law. Above all, the judgment expresses an authentic interpretation of law for the parties. Thus, the activity of tribunals, and particularly of the Roman Rota, creates the jurisprudence, that is, the interpretive authority inherent in the fact that many cases have been similarly decided. True canonical jurisprudence is especially that of the Roman Rota because the decisions of the other tribunals are not universal or definitive since they are themselves subject to revision. And furthermore, only the Roman Curia acts in the name of the supreme legislator. The Apostolic Constitution, Pastor Bonus, confirms the role of the Rota when it declares that the Rota is to force the unity of jurisprudence and by virtue of its own decisions, provide assistance to lower tribunals. Or as John Paul II has remarked, to the vigilance of the senior tour and the jurisprudence of the rota must correspond equally wise and responsible work in the lower courts. It is precisely to foster this wise and responsible work in the diocesan tribunals that the CLSA has taken a leading role to make rota jurisprudence more known and readily available, particularly for those in the English-speaking world. The offices of the society often encouraged a more rapid editing and publishing of the sentences in the official Vatican collection. I think there was even a suggestion that perhaps the sentences might be able to be published on the Internet, but this proposal then ran into problems of confidentiality. It is true that every canonist should have some knowledge of Latin, but it is a far cry from knowing the basics to being able to rapidly read and understand the nuances of the law section of a Roman sentence. I must admit that even I have occasional difficulty deciphering what I originally meant in some passage of the original sentence that I wrote. Thus, the Society's recent publication roto jurisprudence, Selected Translations, edited by Sister Victoria Vandenberger, with the help and cooperation of a team of translators, constitutes a significant resource for the members of the society and all those interested in English translations of roto jurisprudence. This project originated in the committee of the CLSA and was approved and encouraged by the former Dean of the Rota, Bishop Anthony Stankiewicz and so constitutes a further example of the CLSA's 50-year ongoing dialogue with the Roman Courier to foster greater understanding and correct implementation of the Church's canon law. Finally, in closing, we are all grateful for the Society's contributions over the past 50 years to this dialogue with the Roman Courier. and may I dare to suggest that as a society we rekindle our historic, proactive, involvement in seeking necessary revision and amelioration of certain portions of current law, especially, for example, the penal law. For a good amount of time, many candidates have been of the opinion that the penal law contained in the 1983 code has not really been adequate for the task that it's called upon to fulfill. In examining that penal law, it strikes one as incongruous. The law itself, in many places, seems to discourage its own use, So much discretion is left to the ordinary and to the judge in the application of the law and the determination of the punishment, that in the end, the canon seem not to propose a law, but simply to offer a series of suggestions and exhortations. So it seems that a revision of the penal law is something necessary and useful. In this context, perhaps the CLSA could offer some concrete proposals, as it did during the process of revision which led to the code of 1983, For it seems that from an excessively lenient universal penal law that was often not even used, or if it was, it did not give the perception of justice, nor repair the scandal. We've seen the immediate passage to a more rigorous particular law, which on the other hand often does not seem to respect or safeguard the presumed innocence of the accused. Yet, in the present climate, the bishops have been able to take immediate effective action or else they are faced with being accused of a cover-up. Perhaps then the experience of members of the CLSA in conducting local trials or being advocates for the accused under the procedures used by the congregation of the Doctrine of faith would lead them to propose revisions of the 1983 code grand general penal law that would assist the bishops who are placed in a very delicate position, or at the same time they must follow us and facilitate the accused rights of defense. But in any case, I'm sure the CLSA of the present and future will carry out its tradition of the past 75 years and will continue to be a privileged participant in the discourse between the American bishops and the Roman Curia on how best to implement the church's supreme law, the salvation of souls. Once again, I thank you most sincerely for the honor accorded me.